there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On this episode of the Video Archives podcast, we have a customer. Joe Dante, director of Piranha, Innerspace, and Gremlins, joins Quentin and Roger in the store for a film that he believes deserves more recognition. A forgotten film from a little-known director, The Fool Killer takes place shortly after the Civil War. A young Southern boy has run away from his foster home, and as he wanders the countryside, he meets various odd characters along the way. One of them tells him the story of the vengeful Fool Killer. Quentin, Roger, and Joe discuss the history of the film, the striking performances of the actors, and the director's determination to push the boundaries on the screen. Next up, they've got their own brand of medicine. Quentin, Roger, and Joe visit the hospital where patients always come first, in the young nurses. In this new world picture, we follow three nurses and a candy striper as they navigate their day-to-day activities inside of the hospital. We've got everything from fun romps on the beach with a sailboat captain, an overworked nurse who just wants to get things done, and stopping a gang-related drug epidemic. Quentin, Roger, and Joe discuss the genre of nurse films, the relationship between Julie and Roger Corman, Joe's involvement with the film, and the scarcity of all-black orgy scenes in 70s sexploitation. This movie will raise your heart rate and send your temperature sky high. And lastly, let's spend a night in the countryside with Susan, Sandra, Olga, and Julie. In the film, My Nights with Susan, Sandra, Olga, and Julie. Anton has been tasked with retrieving Susan, a famous fashion model, and bringing her back to the French Riviera for a job. Susan has other ideas. She's chosen a hermit's life on a dilapidated farm and has no plans of returning to her previous jet-set modeling life. When Anton arrives at the farm, he becomes enchanted with the strange characters that live with Susan. Soon, he becomes caught in a web and uncovers all of the house's mysteries. I'm Gala Avery, and joining us now, here's Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery. 
And thank you, Gala. And this is Quentin Tarantino. And Roger Avery. And this is the Video Archives podcast. And as Gala so charmingly mentioned, yes, indeed, we do have a customer today. And it's the famed director, Joe Dante. Well, thank you. I'm here to uh, learn how podcasts are done. (laughs) Yeah, you've had this extremely successful podcast for the last... Three years, if not five years, <laughs> with a, with that you co-host with a genuine video archives customer. That's true. Wait, really? Yes, yes. He used to come in all the time. Yeah, you no, know, he <laughs> totally came in. I knew who he was because he worked on the crew of uh, Canon movies okay, at that okay, time. Yeah, yeah, at yeah. the height, that would that would have placed him in a very height of our revered Canon, position. At the height <laughs> of our Canon obsession. Yeah. And so we would like talk. So what Canon movie are you working on this week? You know. And then he would tell them. We would talk about it. And yeah, no, he was great. So but no, the he was highlight a- of his professional life. <laughs> Josh Olson, we're talking. Josh, we're talking about Josh Olson. Josh Olson. All right, so it's like, yeah. So our two famous customers are Josh Olson and uh, Danny Strong. Yeah, yeah. Danny, Danny Strong, the screenwriter who uh, used to come in when he was twelve. <laughs> so we talked. To, so we talked to Joe about the three movies, uh, about uh, watching uh, uh, three films. He says, "Well, do I get a say in any of these?" I go, "Well, not really." <laughs> but, uh, uh, but he offered three anyway. And one that I was actually wanted to screen, because I still haven't watched it yet, but we didn't have it. And that is uh, Confessions of an Opium Eater with... Uh, uh, I'm working on it. Uh, Vincent Price. Uh, but one of the ones that he had mentioned is a film that I had always heard of. I've never seen. I'm always heard of, but I've heard of. And uh, we had a, a copy of it in the Eddie Brands collection, which is the film The Fool Killer. The Fool Killer is going to get you shook. <laughs> I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he wasn't looking outside right now. He's waiting to pounce on you. Who? Who, who, who? The fool killer. That's who. Who's the fool killer? He's a great tall fella. Eight feet tall, I reckon. Tall and skinny. And he goes around, he carries a chopper so sharp. So sharp, he cuts through a fence post just like a cigar. What's the chopper for? For chopping pools, of course. Now, what's he want to go and do that for? Because that's his line of work, boy. That's all. That is his line of work. <laughs> a rare print of Servando Gonzalez's The Fool Killer with co-hit The Young Nurses will be playing on 16mm for one night at the new Beverly Cinema on Monday, February 6th. 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90036. For more information, visit thenewbev.com. The new Beverly Cinema. Always on film. And it stars a, a very young Edward Albert, a Later from Butterflies Are Free, but this is like when he was 12. Anthony Perkins, uh, Salome Jens, Dana Eclair, Henry Hall. Um, it's like, what, 67 or 66? 65. Well, it was shot in 63. Yeah. Oh, it was shot in 63, okay. Uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And it didn't uh, make much of a ripple mm-hmm. uh, when it came out. The, the producer named uh, Eli Lando had a company called Landau Unger. And he was doing a, a, a bunch of pictures with mainly New York talent, one of which turned out to be The Pawnbroker, mm-hmm. uh, which was written by the same writers who wrote The Fool Killer. Mm. Uh, and, but, the, but The Fool Killer was in gestation or in media rests or something between 1963 and 1965 because it didn't, it didn't come out anywhere. I think mm-hmm. they had one engagement in Tennessee to invite the crew and the locals mm-hmm. and then zuch, nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I found it for rent 
at uh, Films Incorporated, which was a 16-millimeter house when mm. I was in college. And I noticed that it had never played New York, it never played Philadelphia, it never played New York. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll have the Philadelphia premiere. Of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll rent it in 16 millimeter mm-hmm. and, we'll, and I happen to have a great three sheet that I had found at National School. Oh, uh-huh. and, I, and so we had the Philadelphia premiere of this, <laughs> of this Hollywood movie. Uh, and uh, it, people, people liked it, but it didn't exactly end up on the radar. Mm-hmm. So uh, over the years, I've tried to proselytize about this picture, which mm-hmm. I really like. And uh, in fact, I've been looking for a trailer for it to do it on Trailers from Hell mm-hmm. for forever mm-hmm. but i think there aren't any mm-hmm. because it because, because it he, never played <laughs> okay now okay, but, but now is there any indication with your three sheet that you found or about where well, it could have played where that paper could have been used and what it, no it was all brand new stuff oh, with no uh, no little, no pinholes in it nothing uh, like that uh, i mean these were mint mm-hmm. uh and never used mm-hmm. and eventually <laughs> the picture was sold to american international mm-hmm. uh and they tried to re-release it as the, a violent journey which is the the title that's on on imdb oh uh-huh uh, and that apparently played nowhere either. Mm-hmm. But one thing they did do is they sold it to television. Mm-hmm. So the print that I bought said American International Television yeah, yeah, and yeah. then came to the, the movie. And then in 1969, apparently they recut the movie because there's a lot of odd editing in the picture. There's some upside down shots, which yeah, yeah. I guess they, they mm-hmm. producers didn't like. And so they recut it and opened it in New York uh, to no interest whatsoever. AIP still? Mm-hmm. No, this was the Landau himself. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and so to this day, uh, the only time it's ever really been seen widely is in this VHS that you found, which is from yeah. Republic Home Video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a VHS transfer. It doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, frankly, my 16 millimeter print looked better, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I've always tried to interest people in this picture. But then once I get them interested, they go, where can I see it? And yeah, it's yeah, like, right. well, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's not, I, I, I talked to Criterion. I said, you know, you guys should put this out. It's really yeah, an unknown uh, uh, movie. It's got a, it's a Mexican director. He's got a following, even though he only did two pictures that were released in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you guys could, you know, but nobody's interested. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's very frustrating, which is why I'm, I'm glad that you chose it out of the, ones that I gave you. No, it was like, oh, well, you know, uh, I'd heard about the film before. It's got a really cool cast and it's also, and, and it fits into the whole criteria of I haven't seen it and Roger hasn't seen it and then you'd be interesting to talk about it. Uh, do you want to do the uh, uh, the honors and read the back of the box? The back of the box? Yeah. Is the back of the box accurate? I haven't read it. It's, 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 they rarely are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can read it it can be inaccurate and then you can criticize it afterwards. Uh, no, let me see what it says. <laughs> Well, it starts, Anthony Perkins joins a runaway boy. Well, that's not quite the yeah, way it works. <laughs> the runaway boy. Okay, you're already Perkins. getting way too literal. Uh, you're going to be very unhappy with the way mis- these normally go if, <laughs> if that's your problem. Mistreated and misunderstood, George, a 12-year-old orphan, runs away from his foster home. Hopping freight trains, George follows the open road to misadventure and the companionship of Dirty Jim, a crusty old kindred spirit. Jim mesmerizes young George with a fantastic tale of the fool killer, a mythical murderer who stands eight feet tall. Separated from Jim by sickness and fate, George finds another friend in Milo, a tall Civil War veteran with amnesia and PTSD, obviously. Uh, Though the pair share a carefree fellowship of the highway vagabond, George slowly suspects that Milo is in fact the real-life axe-wielding murderer of Dirty Jim's horrific tale. It says here that it's an enchanting lyrical drama and a tense, gripping thriller. Remarkable entertainment for all ages. It says here. (laughs) 
that's actually a better description of the plot than you, you almost ever get yeah. around these boxes. Well, maybe somebody actually watched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what the movie has is, is it's a series of, uh, he, he, he runs into these picaresque weird characters. The first one he runs into is Dirty Jim, mm-hmm. who is played by Henry Hall, who is a veteran actor. He's, he's the original Werewolf of London. Yes, exactly. 1935. Yeah. And he was in Lifeboat, and he worked for Fritz Lang. And I mean, he's been in a lot of movies, and he's got a very distinctive voice, so yeah. you could really tell when you see yeah, him. Master of the World, I, was what I, yeah. I think of growing up. And that and Werewolf of London. And this, one, this was his next to last movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his last movie was The Chase, the mm-hmm. Arthur Penn movie. Uh, he, all the scenes with him are, they're funny. Yeah. Uh, they're really clever his rapport with the kid is quite good and then little george meets uh he runs away as he always as he tends to do mm-hmm. <laughs> and he gets taken in by uh, a family that has this weird little girl mm-hmm. named, yeah uh, blessing angelina fanshaw mm-hmm. and she has a boil mm-hmm. where she sits down mm-hmm. and that's why nobody she ever gets spanked mm-hmm. he wants to he wants to run away and um, and she helps him mm-hmm. uh, and once he runs away he runs into uh tony perkins who is not in Norman Bates mode exactly, but mm-hmm. uh, is obviously troubled. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems pleasant enough, except that he has these war flashbacks, yeah, which are done pretty effectively with a you know a camera tied to his uh, tied to his head, and he mm-hmm. spins around and, and whatever. Uh, and then the other set piece in the movie is he uh, the kid wants to go to a, a, a revival meeting, mm-hmm. and um, Tony Perkins doesn't like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so he suggests he doesn't do that. But then they do anyway. And the preacher, played by Arnold Moss, who is another actor who is pretty familiar from... He, his, his, his greatest role was his uh, Rose Pierre's second-in-command, Fouchot, in The Black Book, mm-hmm. which, is a, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a terrific movie, Anthony Mann. Yeah. Uh, and he is the preacher, and he preaches, and he preaches a lot, and saliva drips. No, he's, he's fantastic. And, he's, and it's, it's, a, it's a really intense scene. And of course, he mesmerizes this entire mm-hmm. uh, room full of uh, hicks, basically, uh, and then ends up getting murdered uh, by, I, I guess, who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it's not so much the plot of the movie, which is based on a book by mm-hmm. Helen Eustace. Uh, it's the sort of the way the story is told. It's very Night of the Hunter. Mm-hmm. It's it's the most Night of the Hunter movie that isn't Night of the Hunter. Oh, yeah, well, one of the things that really kind of grabbed me at uh, with it was the fact that you know it does have a very literary kind of feel, and it falls into a literary Dickensian uh, uh, literary aspect of uh, you have a young protagonist, and then. You're following their odyssey. You're following their journey, and 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 so one step of the leg, leg of the journey takes them to this character, and then this character fills it up for twenty minutes or thirty minutes or for three chapters or four chapters, and then they move on to another character, and that helps take the narrative. George is really terrific in it. Is he's uh, play in what appears to be his first performance, the lead role uh, by Edward Albert, who you know later become uh, 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 famous in the seventies. He'll play the blind uh, Donnie guy oh, in, in um, Butterflies Are Free, which I've always thought he was terrific in that movie. In Galaxy of Terror. Oh, later he, well, eventually he gets <laughs> yeah. to, eventually he gets to Galaxy of Terror. When people are on their career downslope, you don't necessarily yeah, no, want to hold that up as their greatest well, achievement. Uh, yeah, it, 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 I happen to like Galaxy of Terror. So. I, I, I know. <laughs> he had a way to go, all right. The interesting thing about him is actually, I, 
I showed a Butterflies Are Free to an old girlfriend, and she liked it so much that I made a point to watch uh, 40 Carats, which is like his follow-up movie with the same director. And I actually ended up liking that. I never thought I'd, I'd never seen it, and yeah. I actually thought that was actually pretty good, yeah. especially because I liked him. He was a good lead in there. But then after that, I remember him for like just the slew of TV movies. Yeah. He was a that, staple. That, was uh, you know, especially, especially the ABC movies of, of the week. I think he married Kate Jackson. For a while, and they did a bunch of TV movies, The Killer Bees, with uh, uh, directed by Curtis <laughs> Harrington. Yeah. Now, the period you're talking about, the Galaxy of Terror period, that is like t- right towards the end of the 70s, where out of the blue, after kind of being on TV shows and guesting on this and TV movies, all of a sudden, he made a play for being a leading man again. However, it was the time of Tom Selleck, and so he grew a mustache that made him look like a poor man's Tom Selleck. But in this guise, he actually did about four movies where it's just him being full-on Tom Selleck leading man, and one of them is Galaxy yeah. of Terror. But he's, it's, he's a fantastic young lead in this movie. I mean, it, well, he, he helps give the movie gravitas. Yeah, he, yeah. It conveys this kind of extraordinary depth. Well, he's an intense little fucking boy. Yeah, he turns into like a cypher, and I mean, the fact that this is well, he, civil war He makes the movie intense because he's an intense little boy. And he breaks the fourth wall and talks to you through the whole movie. Yeah, he does. Which actually. is unusual. Yeah. And he's mesmerizing in the revival tent scene. Yeah, when he just gets caught up in the whole fear of, you know, hysteria <laughs> of preaching fire and brimstone. And, and uh, uh, you know, it, he's wonderful in that scene. There's also a neat aspect to that sequence, too, you know, from the time period where it, it takes place. Where they see, okay, the revival house, the, the, they, set up the, they set up the revival tent and people are coming from all around. And the kid, he wants to see it. They're like, yeah, that's, I want to see it. And, and uh, Milo was like, nah, you don't believe in the, what those, those people say. But the kid is responding like it's a movie. No, no, it's something to do. We're fucking bored to death, all right? They just put up a tent. People are showing for all around. I mean, it sounds like there's something interesting going on there. We got nothing to do anyway. Let's go. And uh, so he relents. Okay, we'll go to the movies. And it kind of was a movie. Because it's not like there's this like wonderful religious epiphany that can survive the morning. Forget about like two days later in the course of the movie. But during the moment of the tent meeting, he's right there with tears running out of his eyes, clasping his hands together. It's a really, really terrific, terrific sequence. Yeah, it's yeah. actually for me. It was actually one of the most disappointing moments. Mm. Uh, not the sequence. Uh, sequence is amazing. It's that he's become a fool like everybody else in the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh-huh. And it, it it portends his fall, basically, in, in some ways. And so it's kind of like a, it's a it's a disastrous moment. Well, but I don't look at, like, I, I hear your point. I think they make the point that he, he shrugs it off so readily the next day that, you know, no, he's not becoming a religious fool, all right? he's It's like a movie. He just got caught up. That's what the guy's job is, is to catch you up, to entertain you, make you forget about your problems, you know, for that hour or hour and a half and make you think that you got the Lord, you know, for the course of the night. Well, but <laughs> I'm going to do everything different starting tomorrow. <laughs> why do you, why do you, but Quentin, why do you think they make such a, um, an impressive point that he's overwhelmed by it? Because I think it's more than that. It's just a movie. I, I think I really I think there's an implication that he has absolution and saving that he needs within him. He keeps talking about his parents. We don't. He's a cipher. We don't know what happened to his parents. Are his parents dead? Uh, did they die during the Civil War? I mean, this presumably takes mm-hmm. place 
uh, when the actual fool killer was around, which was 1869 or so. And so, well, I think one, at one point did, in the movie, did he, he kill tells his what parents? happened to his parents. No, at one point he tells what happened to his parents, and then you're, you're kind of meant to believe it. Well, he he kind of humps he's, and he's humps already, about my he's parents. ambiguous, but he's they already both, lied they both died. about what happened before. Yeah, 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 and yeah. then when he finally has to come clean, and and they, now son, tell me, is are your parents dead? Yes, they're dead, mm-hmm. but he doesn't say how. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and so um, for me, the like the more I th- in fact, this didn't come to me until just now listening to you talk about this sequence. There's a reason he's in there weeping for God in that moment and getting lost in um, the rapture of uh, of salvation that's being presented to him. And it's because he's perhaps also the fool killer. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm just throwing out a hypothetical. No, that's actually an, that's, a, that, that's that an interesting hypothetical. The reason his parents are dead is because he killed them. I think that's, an, in, I think that's an interesting hypothesis. I would have to say I'm only seventy percent into that hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I understand. No, no, you're 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 raising it up the flag yeah. and seeing if anybody salutes. Uh, I appreciate that uh, because uh-huh. other, otherwise, why make such a powerful point of that moment in particular and his being lost? I in still can know my 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 and re- Anthony I, Perkins's character who is not wanting to be there, who looks at everyone in that room like they're a fool being drawn in like moths to the flame, but. If you're going to go with the idea that maybe uh, uh, he's the fool killer, as far as he, he or a fool killer, a, a fool killer, he you know he uh, hatcheted his parents to death, then I think that there would be more in the character to maybe suggest that. Well, his his finding a family that that is going to take care of him, and then suddenly they're like, well, no, we're going to send him back. Wasn't that we're going to send you back to where you're? Well, that where was came that's from. the first family. Yeah, the that's the one. Girl. The weird, they're going to they're gonna send yeah, the him back, but the, not, the second family that he meets are nice, and they want it. It's the old cliche: you're just as old as our son would have been, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, and so he's going to take take the place of their. Yeah, their kid. Uh, his relationship with them is 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 normal enough. That I think it clouds the idea that he actually is an act. He axe murdered his parents. I used to have a copy of the book, but I don't uh, anymore. The scene that's the scene for the movie to me is Henry Hull's uh, monologue. Uh, like his three-page monologue he's where he incredible. describes... It's the most Quentin character <laughs> yeah, of this it's, movie. It's great. <laughs> he belongs in a... And it's just that, you know, and, the, you know, and it, it's going for this rural mountain folk poetry. And then the characters talk in this real primitive, uh, but yet poetic kind of way. It's almost like uh, uh, Georgia, Arkansas, Elizabethan, you know, uh, <laughs> to some degree or another. And I like movies. That I, and there's a there's actually a little subgenre of movies that kind of fit into this. Uh, 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 fit into this. Uh, you, you mentioned Night of the Hunter fits into that. Uh, Renoir's. Uh, uh, the Southerner fits into that. Actually, Walter Hill even tries to fit into that in The Long Riders. There's mm-hmm. kind of this almost poetic mountain, mountain, folkloric mountain talk in the way they talk. None of them do it as truly poetically, except maybe uh, A Night of the Hunter as the Fool Killer. Yeah. And especially in Henry Hull's just, just mesmerizing yeah. Mesmerizing reading of, uh, of the legend. Do you want? Do you want to say what? No, you've got the legend. Well, in in a, in a nutshell, the legend, uh, which came about around post Civil War, when they were personifying um, all sorts of um, characterizations of America, mm-hmm. they would become personified as as actual characters. And one of them was the Fool Killer. And the Milton Chronicle uh, newspaper back east uh, began doing anonymous stories that were supposedly. Uh, relayed from Jesse Holmes, who was relaying his stories, uh, confessions 
of being the fool killer. Okay, so is he real, or was or was this just a way for them to discuss the ills of the day? You know, in post Civil War mm-hmm. America, this is around eighteen sixty nine. Apparently, in one of his confessions, he meets a guy. He meets a guy who tells him um, he's, he's found this woman. He's gonna um, marry her because her aunt has all this money, and she's sure to leave the world soon. She's gonna die soon, and so, so the quote is. As I put my hand on his collar, I told him I'm about the last man you want to have any business with. You would fare better to thrust your head into the angry lion's mouth or to tilt your pate against forked lightning. That he was my property and mine alone. You are, said I, pretending to be monstrously in love with a young lady, and it seems that you love her aunt's property more. And thereupon I pitched into him with the savageness of skinning skunks, mauled him about right. <laughs> so it was this kind of thing where, where he would. Uh, uh, but that's not necessarily a fool. That's just well, a crook. He, well, he, he he looks as I think that's his definition of a fool is anybody who's abusing the 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 laws of civility, especially in the deep south, which at that time uh-huh. you can imagine everything has collapsed, mm-hmm. and you've got the carpetbaggers from the north and the the leftovers from i mean the, I, I i can't even barely begin to imagine mm-hmm. um what it must have been like mm-hmm. in post civil war except my aunt Myrta Lockett Avery actually wrote a book mm-hmm. uh, called uh, virginia girl in uh, the civil war and actually discusses it and talks about oh, it oh really little, uh-huh. uh, ta- talks about it a little bit talks about how um what it was like i mean just unscrupulous uh, 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 fiancés and... Uh, well, just everything, all of civilization briefly falling apart. People who were never allowed to drink suddenly drinking. Mm-hmm. Slaves staying and slaves hopping on the horse, the master's horse and taken off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Uh, she just describes the, the chaos of being in Richmond, you know, after, uh, after it's destroyed and what the South was like. And it's just a broken place. And mm-hmm. we see, I think we see the repercussions of that to this day. And uh, we see, yeah, and we, we, we see it in the movie. Well, but everyone it, is, yeah, they're, they're damaged in the movie. And I think seeking salvation in some ways. And also mm-hmm. people are, I mean, they've lost their child. They, they said they lost their, yeah. um, their child. Yeah. I mean, they, he was probably a soldier in the civil yeah, it, war. Well, it has that, you know, same, same thing as like the beguiled. It has that yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. mix of uh, Mark Twain and Ambrose Bierce. Uh, uh, that's very accurate. I mean, they're different in many ways, but I was feeling like the same kind of feeling I had when I first saw The Swimmer, uh, when I saw this film, in that it's kind of episodic. You're traveling with him through these various chapters, mm-hmm. and as you're traveling through these chapters, you're realizing you're not really, it's not really about the journey, the the external journey. It's about his internal journey mm-hmm. that he's on, and I felt that about this film as well. And well also, uh, it reminded me a lot of those, I can't remember his last name, Valerian Borozwitz. Bor- oh, oh, yeah. Nobody could pronounce it. Yeah. yeah. Bor- <laughs> Borocek, I think. Is it. Yeah, Borocek, yeah. Well, I, I also, I do like movies that have... Uh, um, an enigmatic young man, like in a, you know twelve or thirteen or something like that, an enigmatic young man that is kind of goes on an adult's journey, and then that child actor has to give an adult performance. <laughs> he has to give a performance that is more in line with Robert Mitchum <laughs> than it yeah. is asking Johnny Whitaker or somebody yeah. like that. <laughs> that's like a, that's not an easy thing to pull off. Yeah, like no, I, well, no, that, I mean. That could, that could come across really super cheesy, really easily. No, but the thing about it is, you know, he makes it a, a he makes it a serious movie. By the movie is a serious movie, but he helps make it. You take the movie seriously due to Edward Albert's gravitas, 
as a character. And that way, he very much reminds me of, uh, I, to this day, I love, 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 love Griffin O'Neill's performance mm. in The Escape Artist. Escape Artist, oh, yeah. Escape Artist doesn't quite work. At a certain point, you can tell there was editing problems. But his performance is fantastic. He's incredible. He just carries the movie. I, I, and that, he does all the magic that's tricks. The, yes. Yeah, he, like right there. That's the Robert Mitchum young kid performance. Wearing right? that little suit. I don't know. The, the, the suit just, <laughs> that, that suit through the whole time. And, you know, but but Edward Albert is, you know, actually is, is required to do much more. And, um, you know, there's there's an aspect about the movie that I really really appreciated was uh, 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 what's his name George? All right, there's a thing about George where even this entire story, this entire tale, is kind of similar to uh, David Carradine's quest on Kung Fu as Kwai Chang Kane. Yeah. George is kind of a Kane kind of figure. Almost every episode, Kane could have totally met a, a Henry Hill. Yeah. yeah, Henry Hill character. And then he could have totally met the Salam Salam Jen's character, and he could have totally met that little girl, and he could have met this kid. He could have gone to the revival Anthony, house as well. He, he could have <laughs> met the revival house. He could have met Anthony Perkins. I mean, that that's just like five episodes of yeah. Kung Fu right there. <laughs> <laughs> Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. We're back and joined by Gala Avery. Hi, Gala. Hey, Quentin. Hey, Roger. Hey and hello, Joe Dante. I'm sure everyone says this when they meet you, but I'm a huge fan. <laughs> and I am I feel really lucky to be sitting at this table with you right now. So I said, just to get that out of the way. I, I raised her on your movies. So yeah. my friends actually. <laughs> this used to, is the product. My friends that you're actually used at. to call me Gizmo. So. Anyway, but yeah, I, I well, love I look at her and it was all worth it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> anyway, the Fool Killer. As you guys talked about the kid in this movie, Edward Alberts, mm -hmm. what an amazing performance that he gives. Normally, like when there's child actors, including um, Sydney Ann Richards, who plays Blessing, you think, okay, there's like these kids on screen, like, oh my god, like oh, I have to sit through kids. No, these kids are actually, I think, in my opinion, what make the movie. Yeah. I think his performance is so good, and her performance, she's actually my favorite character that they run into. <laughs> I love her. Of course. <laughs> of course, it's totally me. But I love when she says, uh, "It's like you're getting mushy on me." Yeah. And then when he runs away, and she's like, "Oh, he didn't even turn back. He could have at least looked back at me." They were such like special little moments from mm -hmm. child actors that you don't always get. And I liked it. Now, the voiceover, I love voiceover in movies. I know a lot of people kind of groan at voiceover, but it's done so well. And it's no surprise to me because the director, Servando Gonzalez, he also did the scapular, mm -hmm. which I'm not sure if you guys have seen, but mm -hmm. I've seen scapular. The scapular, that movie employs really excellent uh, 
just cinematography in general, and there's voiceover in it also that just well, works really he's, well. He's such an extraordinary director. There's animation in that film yeah. that is like you, you look at that animation and like I, mean, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but it's like it's like something I would have done mm-hmm. in uh, and, and I did do in Killing Zoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like uh, there's animation. He does all sorts of crazy camera work. He's doing all sorts of wild narrative structure. Frankly, after watching all of the Mexican directors mm-hmm. we've been, you know, watching on this, I'm just like thinking how amazing and and rich, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like Mexican cinema. Cinema is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, but this, this particular particular, this particular director is criminally unknown. You yeah. know, he is. Uh, he, it's unreal how unknown he is. And, it, and it, no, I, I I haven't seen the other movies you're talking about. When I saw the opening credits, I was like, oh, this person, this for all these like recognizable names, he like like. Uh, who the fuck is that? All right, when the director's name showed up, I cried in the in El Scapular when uh, he's remembering the woman. I don't want to give away the scene, but when he starts remembering because of the music, the um, this woman he's in love with, it's so visually striking and surprising. You just can't believe that they're going there, and it's it's breathtaking. And that's what he's doing in Full Killer. Also, he's doing things like like talking to the camera Mm -hmm. and utilizing all these narrative tricks and beating his own narrative drum. And I can believe that the producers were ripping their hair out because shots were upside down and (laughs) things like that. They always rip their hair out at things like that. Great camera work in it. I mean, just wonderful shots. You go, how did he do that? I mean, well, the scene with uh, Anthony Perkins, when he's rolling and I was watching, I was thinking, Whoa, like this is like a this is a camera that has actual film in it. Like it's not like some like little iPhone or like some mm-hmm. digital well, yeah, and, camera. And to do that, you have to build a wheel to put the camera in and a wheel that will hold Anthony Perkins so and strap him in so that they can both roll at the same time. Yeah. And that's like a Remy Julian well, trick. All, all, all I can say is that I, I did meet the producer, Eli Lando, at some function years later. And I told him that my how he'd done some good work. He did the American film theater movies, yeah. a lot of a lot of really good movies. But I said, you know, my favorite movie that you've ever done is The Fool Killer. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he put his hand to his head. <laughs> and he went, the Fool Killer. And all I could think of was, I guess they, I guess it was, quote, a troubled shoot. Uh, and then it was obviously a troubled post-production oh, situation. <laughs> and I guess they probably didn't make any money at all. And so he just never thinks about it. If oh, yeah, we didn't yeah. make any money. And I made sure that guy never worked again in the United States. <laughs> well, you know, he, he didn't. I know. That's the thing. Yeah. That's yeah. the crime. And I wish that more of his movies were available because, I mean, the scapular is available. You can rent that on streaming. Fool Killer... You got to go to YouTube if the video is still up and it's in like this terrible for less than 480p quality or you get a VHS tape. If you can find one, it was I'll talk about that later. It was difficult. Well, there's, to track a, there's down. a site called Cave of Forgotten Films. By the way, okay. I think Cave, VHS, of For- Cave of Forgotten Films, which has pretty decent quality stuff uh, mm-hmm. and very obscure, some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, I, that's always worth checking. By the way, I think VHS is 640 by 480. And so I think it is actually 480. So whatever I'm seeing, but I must VH, be seeing some I kind mean, of compressed when transferred. If you're looking line VHS, by line, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. And speaking of the camera work in this, the DP that worked on the Fool Killer is um, Alex Phillips Jr., yeah. which you'll yes. know from the Devil's Reign. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yes, Devil's Reign. Uh, also, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, which no is Devil's, my no Devil's Reign. No, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia is my favorite peck and paw. Uh, Jack Hill's okay. I know you're gonna so whatever. We'll get into that later. Jack Hill sorceresses and. Video archives favorite demonoid. Your your guys yeah. disagreeing on things both relieves stress on me, <laughs> and, and is kind of like a, I think a favorite of people to listen to. You guys like bickering. Well, just, 
gigantic pronouncements. The greatest James Bond movie of all time is oh, you, The oh, Man with the Golden Gun. That's my the greatest that's my Bond favorite. movie of all time. Is. I said but, my favorite. But why is The Man with the Golden Gun your favorite? Oh, because of Knickknack. Because of Knickknack. Because I love Knickknack. He loves to watch. <laughs> yeah. But The Fool Killer, I mean, the shots in it are amazing. Like we talked about Anthony Perkins rolling on the hill, but also when Anthony Perkins first gets revealed, mm-hmm. how it does that like dump, bump, 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 like yeah. The, yeah, the, the the pop cuts. The pop yeah. cuts into his eyes. Yeah, same axis. It's like startling and kind of creepy. And the but, shot that goes through the door. Yeah. Like, oh my God, that amazing pullback. Yeah. Oh yeah. But he, also even just like where there's a shot where it's just nothing, where he's just capturing action, like them chasing a pig around Dirty Jim. Is that what his name? Dirty Oh my God. <laughs> around the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine that day on set. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the, oh, okay, what are we doing now? Oh, we're chasing the pig around on okay, set. Dirty that's an Jim, amazing scene. Dirty Jim Jellaman, which yeah. is like the coolest name of like some backwards <laughs> mm-hmm. old man that you could find. But I can't get over the fact that he tells him the story of the fool killer because he wants to sweep the floor. Like, I can't get over that. That's the entire reason why we get the fool killer story is because the kid tries to do one good thing. It's because you're being a fool. Yeah. <laughs> you're just plain old fool. Take them. And he breaks the broom. Break that broom. But like, uh, you want to clean the floor? Let me tell you the story about the fool killer. And then the rest of the movie, this kid is like doing misbehaving things. But like the one time he really like. Hey, you know what? It, it, maybe it's a metaphor for the Deep South at that time. The wife is dead and gone. The guy is doing whatever he wants now. He's not going to clean up anything. Yeah. And don't you even think about cleaning this place up. But I, I actually, I think <laughs> the the connection between the kid and Dirty Jim Jellyman is actually really sweet. Mm-hmm, like yeah. them, like the whole montage oh, they have. Perhaps a little too sweet. No, 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 no. no, no. no. I, I thought I could go there, but I didn't. And it, I was glad amazingly, about that. thankfully, didn't. Uh, they have like a real genuine like father son connection in those moments, or like mm. uncle nephew. Well, he meets him in an outhouse. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> but there's hands a, down. No, but there's a yeah, no, but there's a a sweet thing that's re- uh, revealed through the narrative. You know, where uh, first the kid is like, "Well, look, I'm not saying I'm gonna stay the whole night. I I, I got to get going." And you go, oh, you're gonna leave already? Okay, well, look, I I can stay for a couple of days, I guess, you know. Uh, okay, fine, fine. A couple of days, we'll have a good time. It'll be great. You know, and then it cuts to them, make the, makes a narrative cut, and you realize he's been there for like two weeks or three weeks, you know. And it's just really, and it's just charming, and it's sweet. Also, it introduced me to Gonzalez as this amazing director, and I've only been able to locate this movie on YouTube, which I hope the video is still up for everyone to go watch, and then the scapular. And the rest of his movies, I'm having, like, such a pain in my butt. Well, it's very them. hard to find. They're very hard to find. And it's a real, in my opinion, it's a loss. And I actually, uh, one thing I was going to add, I think, uh, um, I didn't look it up on, I didn't look it up on uh, the internet or anything. But I think Alex Phillips, uh, the cinematographer, you know, he did a whole series, I think, of canon movies. In the, I think he worked a lot with uh, uh, J. Lee Thompson. I think he did Firewalker or something oh, great. like that. <laughs> Okay. So if you guys want to watch this movie, which you should, because it's not only recommended by me and Quentin Roger, but also by Joe Dante. I mean, who doesn't want to? Curated. Come on. Curated Curated by Joe Dante. Yeah, this is a must-see. It's available on YouTube right now. Um, If you are lucky enough to pick up a VHS, I was able to pick up mine. It's the same one that Quentin has from Eddie Brant's. I was able to get mine for $20 from a store called Video Nerd at one six two (laughs) five. East Irving Place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They are an online retailer that has tons of VHS. They're on Facebook. And they have so many rare titles. They have so many Paragon tapes. I couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. Cool. And I searched so hard to find this VHS tape. 
And this person pulled through. So thank you so much, Video Nerd. And I will hold my tape dearly once I have it. Such a nerd. Yay! Meet today's women. Liberated, beautiful, and ready for action. They're the young nurses, and they're growing up fast. It's the candy striper's job to make the patients stay in the hospital more pleasant. This is not what we mean by pleasant. It was pleasant, wasn't it? Yes! Can you help this man? He's got a bad taste of the The young nurses. Join them. All you need is a private room. The Young Nurses with Co-Hit the Fool Killer will be playing on 35mm film for one night at the new Beverly Cinema on Monday, February 6th. 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90036. For even more information and tickets, visit thenewbev.com. The new Beverly Cinema. Always on film. And we're back, and we're on to our second film, which is from New World Pictures, The Young Nurses. Brought out on Charter Entertainment, which Charter Entertainment was the uh, special division line inside of Embassy video. And the, and it was their Lexus. Yeah, I don't know exactly how it worked, but at some point in the 80s with video out there, uh, the New World catalog got sliced in half between Warner Brothers Home Video and Embassy Home Video. And this is like one of their later video releases, uh, so this got knocked over to Charter. But I actually like the Charter l- logo quite a bit. I like the I like it at the beginning of the movie. I like it on the box. I like yeah, the, the video graphic that comes up. I like this. In fact, I like this a lot better than the Embassy video graphic and then the, the white Embassy box with just the catalog (laughs) square in the middle um i wanted to watch it i wanted to bring it onto this episode for a couple reasons one i really like the nurse uh cycle of movies that the new world picture did it's probably my favorite of their of their series of, of of films but also i wanted to uh uh talk about New World Pictures with Joe being here, but not necessarily pick one of the classic ones like Death Race 2000 and talk about that. And I didn't even know if he had any... It's around his same time, so I wasn't even sure if you had any involvement with it. And naturally, yes, he cut the trailer. So first, before I read the back of the box, let me just kind of describe uh, the genre and the, the series of movies. It all started... They didn't know they were doing a, a series. This is at the very, very beginning of Corman's uh, opening up New World Pictures. And as we talked about before, I think, in another episode. So when Corman started uh, New World Pictures, it wasn't good enough for him to... He, he wanted to dominate or, you know, uh, you know, to be a player inside of the world that he knew right away. So it wasn't enough to have five movies or six movies. He needed a full-on year slate. He needed 12 movies. And so he's able to finance a group of small ones, but he's also able to pick up from Eddie Romero and Steroid Santiago a bunch of Filipino ones. He's able to pick up a couple other ones that are on the market there. And so he can, you know, he can release 12 different movies. He, uh, Creature with the Blue Hand, he gets he gets a, one, the biggest release ever of uh, <laughs> Edgar Wallace uh, Crimin. But one of the ones that he throws into uh, production uh, quickly right away, that's a homegrown product of his, is a movie called The Student Nurses, uh, directed by uh, Stephanie Rothman. And I don't like The Student Nurses that much, but it does what it's supposed to do. Anyway, the movie comes out, and it's a big hit for them. I mean, like a big hit. So, no, we we got to do a, a nurse movie next year. 
And so uh, next year is Private Duty Nurses by George Armitage, which is, I think, the best one. Uh, um, I think it's the best movie. I would even take it outside of, not just saying it's a good New World picture, I would take it even outside of the New World picture corral that it's in and say it's a really good 70s movie. I think there's a there's a touch of Paul Mazursky to it. I mean, you could almost imagine those characters living right by Elmo, uh, Chris Christopherson's character and uh, and uh, uh, Bloom's wife, Susan Oshbosch, in Venice. You could almost imagine them going to the same bars or something like that. There is that, uh, and there is a real... There's a real feeling of, of the way, uh, uh, you know, young people vibing and hooking up in a contemporary American uh, city like Venice in uh, <laughs> 1970. Uh, I think the movie does a really good job of that. Then there's uh, kind of the movie almost that brought you to Hollywood, Night Call Nurses uh, by Jonathan Kaplan, which I think is the funnest of them. Then came the young nurses. Then came Candy Stripe Nurses. And then they now they're doing teachers, and they got the student teachers and the summer school teachers, and then they got the Sarah Santiago ones, cover girl models, and and uh, the stewardess one, uh, Fly Me. Now, what they all what all the movies had in common is basically you're following the adventures of three nurses, uh, usually uh, a blonde white one, a brunette white one, and then uh, an ethnic one. Either she's black or she's Mexican usually. And, you know, like something like Three Coins in the Fountain or whatever, it like kind of just follows their situation. They all work at the hospital. They all, one of them has got some situation going on at the hospital about something. They all three meet guys during the course of the movie. And that the guys that they meet usually involve them in some sort of drama at some point or another or adventure at some point or another. But the thing about it is like the three girls are usually pretty charming in the film and you kind of get caught up in their little stories and they're all wonderful ways of looking at Los Angeles at that time, which I think uh, uh, cheap, low-budget movies do better than, than big-budget yeah, movies. Yeah, because they're not using any production to yeah. hide the reality of the world. Yeah, so Young Nurses takes place you know, primarily in Venice where uh, Private Duty Nurses takes place and where me and Roger are from. It takes place in like Hermosa Beach yeah. or Manhattan Beach. Yeah. Uh, 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 and the, other, the, the actors are fun in it. The guys playing the boyfriends, who, whatever it ends up being bad guys, they show up. Dick Miller's in almost all of them. He shows up for a moment. There's always weird cameos by somebody like Sam Fuller or Grady Sutton or somebody, some weird old-timer shows up. Alan Arbus. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, he's not an old-timer then. He was well, still young. But, yeah. but weird to show up in this movie, isn't yeah, it? This, yeah, this yeah, was... Uh, you did, you done coffee just the other day as a yeah. trophy. <laughs> this was Mantan Moreland's last picture. Yeah, it was Mantan Moreland. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you know that he was almost a stooge. No, I did not know that. When he did a picture with Shemp Howard, uh-huh. and uh, it was called "The Strange Case of Doctor Rx," and they had some <laughs> scene where they're, I guess they were playing dice or something like that. Mm-hmm. And Shemp really thought that Manton was very funny, uh-huh. and he went back to the other two guys and he said, "You know, I'm not a spring chicken, and I'm going to mm-hmm. have to retire soon. Mm-hmm. I think Manton should replace me uh-huh. and become the third stooge." Uh-huh. And so the, the other two guys went, yeah, great. We, we love him. Mm-hmm. Um, then, of course, they took it to Columbia. Mm-hmm. And Columbia said, well, he's, 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 he's black. Uh-huh. And they said, yeah. And they said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so they stuck him with uh, Joe Besser. Oh, so that's how Joe came into yeah, it. Yeah, but, but Mo didn't like Joe Besser. Yeah. And he was really angry that Mantan didn't get the job. 
And I think Mantan Moreland's, if I'm not mistaken, I think his big role before this was in Spider Baby. That's, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm a big fan of the nurse movies for all the reasons that I said. Also, one of the things that I like about them is they're pretty formulaic because they all follow more or less the structure that I just described. But inside of that structure, they could be quite different movies. One of them could be more serious. One of them could be more of a comedy. And there's really kind of actually set up for a director to kind of take the movie and, 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 and give it their personality. That's one of the things that New World Pictures had is a director would come in and, look, they didn't have enough time usually to do what they wanted to do. They didn't have, you know, you know it's just getting, getting it done. Getting it done is the job. But hopefully they're throwing in a personality, into the piece by the actors that they chose and what they decide to emphasize. And the nurse movies were kind of set up for the director to kind of lay out a personality. And uh, and consequently, the George Armitage one is quite different from the Jonathan Kaplan one, which is quite different from the Alan Holm one in um, Kenny Striped Nurses. Now, you made a Faustian bargain when you worked with <laughs> Corman. And that was like, okay, so... You're going to make a movie in this genre, and you need to give me the elements that I need in order to exploit a successful motion picture, which it could be violence and action and nudity or sexuality. Then if you can find, if you can make a movie that you want to make inside of these parameters, I'll let you do that. And I want you to do that. I want you to make it as good as possible. And, uh, and that's kind of the bargain. Now, the thing about it is the New World Pictures, their titles suggested, especially for their sex movies, their titles suggested uh, rougher movies than they were. They sounded like porno movies. And then the, the, the posters looked like porno posters. And even the radio spots could have been the radio spots for uh, an erotic film. To be honest, I thought we had a porn movie at Archives called Candy Stripe Nurses. Uh, yeah, no, no, we didn't. Actually. It was Candy Stripe something else. Uh, <laughs> Candy Stripe Nurses, that, that, that. Yeah. <laughs> so in something like Caged Heat, You'd have a lot of nudity all the time because they're in a prison and there's shower scenes going on. And so Jonathan Demme is able to kind of fulfill his nudity quota without <laughs> really having to build scenes around it. It just, it's in the milieu. It happens. And that's one way of handling it. Another way of handling it, like Jonathan Kaplan did when uh, the two black characters have their sex scene, is to make it all really arty. And so he plays around with focus and he plays around with exposure and he shoots through uh, uh, fish tanks and... <laughs> and, you know, just plays around with it like that. It makes it arty, and that's how he that's how he delivers the sex thing. But officially, the two characters are naked in it, so it counts. Now, the way that most of them handled it is they turned it into comedy. They made it part of a joke. Now, all this is just absolutely fine, except it's not very erotic. <laughs> And the movies are being sold as erotic films. And when you, as we'll talk about later uh, with our third film, when you watch a movie from Germany, when you watch a movie from Sweden, and you watch a movie from Holland, or watch a movie from Italy, Italy. which there was a lot of them, and they were selling it as an erotic film, you expected to see an erotic movie. Young Nurses is different. And that's why I chose this one. Now, first, let me read the back of the box before I go into my whole take on this movie. The young nurses in this hospital, the patients come first. No, I think you read that wrong. The patients come first. Yes, you're right. (laughs) The inflection was wrong. You're right, you're right. right. (laughs) I used to do trailers. Luscious blonde Kitty 
Black Beauty Michelle and stunning brunette Joanne are lively young nurses who work at a large hospital and give the sexiest treatment you've ever seen. This is the story of the loves and the lies of these sex goddesses who must struggle to establish themselves as professionals in medicine at a hospital where sex, drugs, and violence are rampant. Whether it's at work or on their days off, the young nurses have your cure in this action-slash-romance full of all kinds of excitement. This movie will raise your heart rate and send your temperature sky high. But don't worry. When you're feeling under the weather, these lovely nurses know just the remedy. Color... 177 minutes. 177 minutes? R-rated. It's not 177 How could that minutes. Did I say 100? I meant to say 77 minutes. Sorry. <laughs> I meant to say 77 minutes. Sorry. I, I don't know where I got the 100. I think that's cheating. I don't think it's even 77 minutes. <laughs> so now, why I think this movie stands out is I think, okay, the director is uh, uh, Clint, Clint Kimbrough. Kimbrough. And uh, he said was like a legit actor, uh, you know, he, he never directed another movie. Yeah, he, he appeared in quite a few different things, but I mean, I'm most, most people most know him for he's one of the brothers in uh, Bloody Mama, oh. right along with Robert De Niro and, and Robert Walden and uh, Don Stroud. But he's also in Nightcall Nurses. He's got a good part in, in Nightcall Nurses. And he was married to Frances Dole. Who is the script supervisor on this movie. Was she Corman's assistant? Uh, she was his... There are many people who believe that Roger could never have made it yeah. as far as he did without Francis. No, mm-hmm. I, I've always between heard... Francis and Chuck Griffith, it was like these these were two appendages that he yeah. really needed. I've I've heard that when it comes to that company, it's like she was the number two. So she was married to Clint, and he got a chance to direct his one movie, which is uh, which was The Young Nurses, and we were amused by the fact that he took a, a slightly different name as a director. It's Clint. Kimbrough. <laughs> so I guess if he was going to, if directing was going to work for him, he was going to go by the name of Clint Kimbrough. Um, what makes this movie different is he has made a decision to make an erotic movie in a way that the other directors didn't. There is, it's, 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 it's coming from an erotic place. He's not holding his nose and doing the nude scenes. The movies are about the nude scenes. It's about them having liaisons is about, and it's about filming it. And, you know, he follows all the different adventures that the characters get into, but that usually leads them into something provocative at the very least. Does he have an ambition to do more like the other directors did? I mean, in other words, well, I did think he have the capability of, for instance, the uh, lap dissolve, uh, um, sexy scenes of, um, he's not a master stylist. No, he's a first time director. All right. He's doing his best, you know, and, and, uh, and they're bum rushing it all over Venice. Yeah. Marina Del Rey. Yeah. yeah Marina Del Rey. It's a great document for, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got a, it's got a regatta in it. Yeah. It's, it's a, I've never seen a nurse movie with a regatta. in it. <laughs> well, again, well, we're from the South Bay. So as soon as the, well, the opening shot, <laughs> yeah. well, you see Marina Del Rey there. All it's right. Like, like, okay, I'm in. He went out to make an erotic movie. Mm-hmm. He's not holding his nose. This is why he's doing it. He builds the scenes around them. They're not cutaways. They're not just filler that's stuck in in between his ridiculous plot. 
I say he's putting up with a ridiculous plot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's it's almost the plot of Coma. My note on this was like Coma on Downers, because like, I mean, there there's a uh, oh, that's one of the that's one of the three plots deaths the deaths that are occurring. <laughs> well, one of the nurses are well, pretty one, too. One of the things about the nurse movies is okay, the. Uh, uh, the ethnic character, either the black character or the Mexican character, she's always the one that has the you know, the more crime story yeah. involved. The issue-oriented. Yeah, there might be drugs or uh, political prisoner-convict situation, but there's, you know, uh, there's usually something as far as that's concerned. But I also think that's one of the things that makes young nurses interesting, too. But what did you, what did you think, Joe? Am I allowed to disagree? Of course you are. <laughs> yeah. After seeing the movie again, after well, so many years. I hadn't seen the movie since 1973 or whenever yeah. it came out. Um, to me, the auteur of this movie is Howard R. Cohen, mm-hmm. who is the writer. Yeah. Uh, he came right off of uh, Unholy Rollers uh-huh. to do this. And he was kind of a go-to guy for Roger if he needed something done mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually was scooted up the ladder and got to direct some things. Yeah, he did uh, like that. He did Saturday the 14th. Saturday the 14th, oh, yeah. And um, I find it the weakest of the, of the nurse pictures, and not necessarily because the script is, is so silly, because it's really not much different than mm-hmm. the other yeah. nurse pictures. I find it to be a drab-looking movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is interesting to see the locations, because mm-hmm. it's always interesting to see the locations in 1973 and how different it is. Um, but it doesn't have any flash. It's 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 kind of murky. There's not enough fill light. Mm-hmm. Uh, half the time you can't see the people's faces, and you go, well, "Shouldn't there be a light over here?" Well, I know why there isn't a light there. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that there isn't a light there. Mm-hmm. And so when you the overall impression of the movie is that it's a little shoddy. Um, and although although there is a an attempt at doing something different with the black subplot. Mm-hmm. Particularly when she gets dosed, yeah, 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 but with drugs in this. Yeah, I've been waiting to talk about that. Yeah. Sort of, Ken, well, I, that's the sequence of yeah, the movie. That's, yeah, that's, that's like, big why we're Ken Russell-like yeah. moment with uh, writhing bodies and, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and stuff. That that's that's actually kind of interesting. But I I think there's a reason why Clint Kimbrough didn't direct any other movies. I don't. Th- he doesn't look to me like he enjoyed it. Well, that might well that might very well be the case, and I can. Imagine just making a new world picture with all the pressures involved and doing it all in a couple of weeks is like, unless you really... Well, it's true, but then you get somebody like Kaplan who makes Night Call Nurses, which is a, f- a fun movie, mm-hmm. and then says, I want to do it again. I'm going to do the student teachers, which is the same yeah, movie yeah, with yeah, teachers. Yeah. And there were a number of people, like Stephanie Rothman and other people, uh-huh. where, where they were ambitious. Yeah. There's no ambition well, in this the, picture. Like, I hear what you mean. I enjoyed it more, and as I stated... I like uh, private duty nurses more, and I like night call nurses more. And I also even like uh, candy stripe nurses, which I think is probably the second most of the of the erotic ones, because it kind of commits to being a sex comedy. And because it actually, it, it commits 100% to the comedy. But also it's got Candace Rouse. Oh, well, it's got and, wonderful Candace Rouse. And the cast of this movie, they're all game. They're yeah. doing their best. But there's nobody that stands out. There's nobody that really... You know, it's very interesting. You look. You are. You are right. I almost think, but there's an almost an off-brand quality. The, all right, to this one that I kind well, of appreciate. The, the, it's like a dimension picture. The yeah. sleepy-eyed Ashley Porter walking around like in a kind of um, yeah. dream state throughout the movie. I I, 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 I found myself thinking about her constantly. Like after after we yeah. left, I was yeah. like, that was actually kind of a a strange. 
maybe unintentionally riveting performance for me. <laughs> well, yeah, well, 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 <laughs> they normally cast at least one very vivacious young actress in this group. So in Candy Striped Nurses, there's two. You got uh, 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 Candace Rawlson and Robin, uh, and Robin, Robin Matson, Matson, who yeah. I'm a big fan yeah. of. All right. Uh, all three of the girls in Night Call Nurses is uh, terrific, especially the girl Patty Byrne, who no, didn't really do really it. Good. I mean, she's fantastic. She's, she's really I, good. I, was, I thought for sure she was going to have a career. I One of my favorite lead Perform, lead female performances in a new picture, Patty Byrne. Um, I like the off-brand quality that these girls aren't quite up to that level of them, but also it gets a little more friskier. All right, <laughs> because of that. It does, it does. It does. It's like, you know, it, it's like, okay, why did Benwell cast uh, uh, two actresses to play the same role in uh, Obscure Object of Desire. Well, obviously because he wanted to have nude scenes and one of them would do the nude scenes and, and Cara Bouquet is like too classy to do the nude scenes. <laughs> that's, no, it's not a not a trick. <laughs> it's not a trick that's, question. That, that's a Roger reason. <laughs> yeah, that's a Roger reason. <laughs> Roger happily uses that excuse. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's, that's actually using surrealism to your benefit. Yeah. In that moment. And what is surrealism other than the Marx Brothers movies? Okay. But the thing that makes the young nurses, which makes me stand behind it, all right, that I can defend it against all comers, is that sequence in the middle when uh, Angela Gibbs, uh, the black nurse, who looks amazing in the movie, uh, riding around on her motorcycle uh, with her, her cape. nurse out of <laughs> oh, that cape. And her fantastic. Florence Nightingale cape, all right, is just fantastic. I mean, she looks like a superhero. But, all right. but that, that's an example. That cape is something that you might not see in a contemporary film, that watching this movie, it becomes suddenly, wow, this movie serves as the document for that cape. And watching her in that and, cape and, and that nurse outfit, like zooming through Venice, all right, was, was very pleasing. And there were quite a few costumes, which... You know, we're probably mm -hmm. just available mm -hmm. close from whatever the last production was yeah. or whatever the actors were oh, wearing. Oh, you never know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, an an up-and-coming young costume person is making a statement, you know, yeah. and I, I don't know who did the costumes well, or was... where they went, but a lot of people worked on those movies and then went immediately to better jobs. Yeah. But the thing is, okay, so she she has a boyfriend. She not even a boyfriend. She has a guy that she's hooked up with before that she has this liaison with, and he was passing out this drug. And he had done drugs before, and then she saw that he had passed out this drug. And she's investigating because the drug is kind of is dangerous. It's being there's a, a dangerous quality. This is the it. boat skipper. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's interesting. This dude, the guy that she's with, because he seems like he's all presented as extremely sketchy, to say the least. Yeah. That he's presented as sketchy. But she seems to kind of be okay with it. She'll ask him about questions. She's still playing Nancy Drew about this whole drug thing, but and she he's part of it, and she got ha, ultimately has this laissez-faire attitude about his involvement in it all, and even to the point of like they're almost gonna like, are we gonna fight about it? Nah, hell no. <laughs> and instead they go and they they fuck in the in the cab of the uh, boat. But um, seventy three, they're doing a little bit of drug deals, yeah. and uh, but again, the just fentanyl got into the drugs. That's the all. But the thing that I like about that sequence, all right, is the fact that it's like two black actors playing it, and there actually is a soul element yeah. to that scene. It's not written in a way where it's just, oh, they get the couple of black actors, and they say, out of sight, man, and slap each other five, and they, they throw a little jive around. No, there's like a, there's, there's a soul quality involved in the way they talk, and they're back and forth. Uh, and also seeing the guy on a boat and watching a, a scene like that in Marina Del Rey, all right, is also very interesting. But then it leads to the point of no return, as far as the movie is concerned. And that's when she goes to um, this bar, 
And the guy's there with the bartender, who we've seen murder a couple of people in just a couple of scenes earlier, I think. And we watched them lace her drink with the drug. And so she, unknowingly, she takes it and she drinks it. She sits down with him. And then all of a sudden, like, starts, like, feeling the effects of the drug. And then they they get on the floor and they start dancing. And she's having a really good time. And then she just starts having this sexual, like, either fantasy hallucination or is it actually happening in real life? That's not for sure. That all the other black folks that are dancing on the floor, it starts as a dancing and then it turns into something out of Ken Russell where they've all taken off their clothes and they're all having this kind of orgy uh, on the dance floor. So then they leave and she's with the guy and she's still all kind of high and, and bopping around. And then she goes, okay, so you spiked me, right? Yeah. <laughs> But you didn't give me enough to kill me. No, no, I didn't give you enough to kill you. Just enough to uh, loosen, what happened? Yeah, loosen you up. Have a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, have a good time. And then so you're like, okay, so how's she going to react about this? And then again, she takes the lazy fair. Okay, whatever. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. And then they go back to her apartment and then they have sex. And then all of a sudden, all the dancers are there. <laughs> And now it's a fucking orgy is going on. And like, how much is the drug? How much is real? It all it all comes together to make for a perfectly Quentin scene. Considering. <laughs> just loves that. Considering what? Well, I love that whole sequence. Yeah. All right. And the, the moral ambiguity of it is the cheese on top. Yeah. All right. But again, one of the things about it that's so special is, frankly, to tell you the truth, especially in, in America, black actors and characters and black bodies are not emphasized in erotic films. I mean, you might see there's the random black actress here and there, but they don't have scenes like this. And they definitely do not have scenes where like six naked black bodies are all together in the middle of a, you know, of an irregular erotic film. And yeah, I think that's a big deal. I think that's special. with Gala Avery. Hello. Okay, I'm back for The Young Nurses. So Joe brought up uh, writer Howard R. Cohen, which I'm glad he did because he wrote a ton of Serio H. Santiago films. Yeah, I know. He, yeah. he wrote uh, Death Force. Oh, yeah, oh, he wrote great. Death Force, he wrote Striker, yeah, yeah. he wrote Striker, which I'm not which, a which, Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. Could he almost be Death Force. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he actually wrote my personal favorite, Vampire Hookers. Oh, he wrote Vampire Hookers. <laughs> which I actually really like Vampire Hookers, which might be questionable, but that's my taste. So. And he ended up in children's television. Mm-hmm. What a the, the, natu- the natural progression. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like Rainbow Bright episodes or something like that. Yeah. What a great trajectory. Okay, so this VHS that Quentin has in front of him, which you guys can see on the website and the newsletter, um, has... Four young nurses on the cover. There's well, okay, the, the, okay there is the, the, there is the fourth one. She's not really part of the thing. You're, just, you're, you're lucky when when even the girls on the cover are yeah. the same girl. Yeah, is she the, exactly. Wait, is she the candy striper? <laughs> yeah, she's okay. the candy striper. So she's the candy she's the candy striper okay. who fucks the rock star. <laughs> um, so like the first story of like the first girl, the blonde one, she's so absorbed with this boat regatta, which yes, it is like this huge, as Joe said. When do you ever see a boat regatta in one of these nurse movies? Never. Well, you can bet that's the reason they made the movie. They got a chance. Hey, I know somebody who's got a boat. We're down at Marina. There's going to be a regatta. We can shoot stuff for free. (laughs) But I just love that she's like so obsessed. And she's like, he can't sail with that shoulder. And like, just so obsessed with like 
him not being able to sail. Yeah, because she's in, she's this, she's falling for this guy who has a shoulder injury from a boating accident, which she's the cause of. But now, is to me, it's interesting because okay, the three actresses there's Jean Mason, who is the the blonde one that you're talking about, Kitty, right? Is yeah, that her Kitty, name? Kitty. Yeah. And then there's Angela Gibbs, is the black one, and then there's Ashley Porter, that's uh, the tall statuesque yeah. uh, brunette. Who is like overseeding her authority? All right, uh, she's prescribing things that only a doctor should be prescribing, that a nurse shouldn't be prescribing. Now, I think it's actually interesting of the three of them because Gene um, Mason, the blonde one, to me is drastically the best actress. All right, yeah. she's carrying off her scenes. She's doing her job and that Putz's job for him. Yeah. All right. Um, Ashley Porter is drastically the least experienced actress of the three, especially compared to Gene Mason. She's strangely the most star worthy of yeah. them. You find yourself looking at her. You, it's you her, can't. It's her dreamy she eyes. She has a star quality. She has a star quality <laughs> about her. And we, actually, uh, she has the one of my favorite moments. Actually, the bikini kite, where yeah. he ties the kite to like her bikini top, and then it flies away. No, she ties <laughs> the. Thought, she ties no. She ties it, the string to his dick. Yeah. No, after though. Oh, okay, I mean, okay. She does it after, and then it flies away. But it, first, well, it I takes, think you're yeah. kind of bearing the lead. Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't fly away. Yeah. It's very uh, dirty hands. Yeah, yeah, with okay. the kite thing. But yeah, I, yeah. I love how though it takes her bikini top, and then she's just like out there in the water. And then yes, as Quentin says, she ties the string to his penis, and then it rises with it, and flies away and all that stuff. That, I that, thought that was actually rather provocative. <laughs> did, 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 you, did you not? If you're making a movie with no, kites just, and no, but, no, but nurses. Just, no, but and... just that moment. Just that moment. Didn't you think, oh, wow. Yeah. Well, God just said it. It's like a dirty... Claude Chabrol uh, would have done it himself. No, but he didn't do it. <laughs> he well, did it. I'm asking you about them, but no, it's not. Yeah, I like it. I like Claude it Chabrol she... is no Clint Kimbrough. <laughs> That's true. I, I, you heard it here yes, first, folks. Yes, I liked it when uh, she tied the I'm kite. Yeah, yeah, just that to, exact moment. Like, and oh, then the no. kite. Oh, it's rising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's rising. Her story, though, she's like kind of like a little annoying for me. Like how she's like, well, there's not enough doctors, so I'm going to do it. Okay, great. Like, well, nurses are expected to like do all. The, the, it was showing, also an issue, actually. Yeah, it's she's it's the, the medical struggle of these nurses and the doctors are just not pulling their weight and they're, they don't have the authority to do things that they should do. And then she finally has the moment where she does it and she, you know, pulls rank and does something that she's not supposed to do and administers the medicine that she really doesn't have the authority to administer and all goes wrong. And yeah, the guy's the almost killed. Yeah, the, the tainted blood. <laughs> that was actually kind of interesting. It wasn't that she got I, away I with it. I ascribe that to Julie Corman, who is mm-hmm. the producer of this picture. Uh-huh. And uh, one thing Julie was very specific about in all of those movies mm-hmm. was she always wanted to have some social aspect yeah. of the picture. They always had to deal with some problem that people had. And, it, and the nurse pictures are off about bad hospital administrators yeah. and, you know. Bad. Now, yeah, you're right. It's like one storyline usually involves like the nurse that directly deals with the hospital, something yeah. going on. And there, then there is like the socially political you know, um, now moment, you know, storyline of one of the, mm-hmm. they usually the boyfriend brings into it. And then there's like a, a romance story, more well, or less. Thank you, Julie Corman, for giving the movie a moral center. Mm-hmm. It's what, it's it's actually probably the reason we're still talking about the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like, I like though, because it's like, she is like a nurse, but then her boyfriend or something is like a doctor and he's kind of like, stop doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, it's like coma. Yeah, it's like coma. I love coma. Okay, well, wait, okay. On, <laughs> but, one hand, uh, uh, on one hand, he's like, stop doing this. They give it all. I was like, hey, this room, this bed just got available. Hey, this room just got available. <laughs> yeah. Now, all right? It's like Patty Chayefsky going on here. <laughs> just like looking for empty, empty rooms. Fucking. When I'm, when I'm watching this movie, though, it's like there are these two girls that have like these like romance stories 
that they're like kind of, I mean, the, the boat regatta, he can't sail with that shoulder. It's like my favorite line from the movie that he just he can't do it. And then like she's trying to like maybe figure out if she wants to be an OBGYN, like yogurt, all this stuff. And then the black chick, it's like actually out there investigating like this drug yeah, the, the fentanyl problem the, in the America. Problem in America. <laughs> but, and I love it because it all starts when her patient dies. Yeah. Because she's been taking care at, of this the free guy, this kid at the free clinic yeah, who's yeah. I think he's blind. Yeah, yeah. And so he's she's been taking care of him. And she's like, I'm gonna get to the bottom of this because like this is like the real social action. This is actually what I can do. Mm-hmm. And I love that she goes and she investigates. And I just love at the same time it's being intercut with the boat regatta. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's so frivolous. <laughs> and for those anime fans out there, there is an anime called which I actually just watched called Rosian Z. And it is the exact same story. Her patient dies and she has to kind of go and investigate. And it's really compelling. And that's the compelling part for me in this movie is definitely her story mm. and kind of the juxtaposition of the boat regatta. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous for me. But now, Quentin and everyone at this table, is coffee a nurse film? Well, no, well, she is. a well, nurse. It's not a nurse. Actually, film. she is a nurse, but it's not a nurse film. No, it's not a nurse film because there would be have to be more than one nurse. Yeah, and we don't ever really go back to the hospital in coffee, do we? Oh, we do a little bit, just a little. Not after the first twenty minutes. Once she once she joins uh, King George, you you would have to end at the hospital, and you would have to have an administrator character and stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) So, for anyone that's interested in watching the young nurses after this conversation, it is available on YouTube in surprisingly amazing quality. Uh, It's very well shot on YouTube, so probably where that movie looks the best. Uh, not really caring about that fill light when I'm watching on my laptop, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Quentin's VHS lands in the drama section. Mm-hmm. And I got my VHS. It's a charter entertainment for $9.88. This would move a video archives. This would move on a whim to either the erotic section under the wise or just would find its way into the drama. Yeah, either drama. Probably not cult. No, no, no. Erotic. No, no, no. no. Ero- I, I, I we have be, an erotic section. I would be putting that in the erotic section. Yeah. But sometimes it would find its way to the drama, too. Mm-hmm. Susan? 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 Mijn nachten met Susan, Olga, Albert, Julie, Piet and Sandra. Mijn nachten, nachten, nachten. Mijn nachten met Pim en Wim. Pim en Wim. Pim en Wim. Een sex and psycho suspense mystery thriller. And we're back with uh, our final film tonight. And uh, tonight's film was uh, one Quentin chose that he said was a Roger movie. And I think... Did he, I say it was a Roger movie? You did when you said this is going to oh, be the Roger that, movie. Oh, that opening 10 minutes is like a Roger movie. Tonight's film is My Nachten met Susan, Olga, Albert, Julie, Piet, and Sandra from 1975, otherwise known as My Nights with Susan, Sandra, Olga, and Julie. For some reason, Peter, Piet, gets left out of the... Uh, well, he never really has a Albert. night with her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Piet, she, she has a night with the dead body. <laughs> 
Quentin, um, I'm going to read the box, but sure. uh, I believe you chose this movie because it was a uh, like a sex film, right? Yeah, well I, well, I chose it because I hadn't seen it. And it's one of those movies that I'd seen like the first 10 minutes of it. And I always thought it looked really, really intriguing. In fact, it looked so intriguing that I didn't want to watch it by myself. I wanted to watch it with somebody else. And then I did a little research on these filmmakers, the producer and director, and that's actually kind of interesting. So I thought yeah. it would be a fun one to watch. And, uh, and I did like the idea that it's, it's released on um, private screenings which was um, media home videos, special line for erotic films, which was almost always German or uh, Swedish or uh, Scandinavian. Now, I'm going to make a confession. I probably more than once uh, put this box back onto the shelves under P yeah, for, for, for private, private screenings, screenings yeah. because the box well, itself. It, it looks like that's the title, but, but I think there's a caveat. Th this picture was shot in Technoscope, mm -hmm. which yeah. is the widescreen process that only uses half the frame. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, this tape, of course, is pan and scan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And when we watched it on Quentin's TV, it zooms in mm -hmm. because it wants to make the pictures look widescreen. Well, that meant cutting off both sides and the top and bottom mm -hmm. of this picture. Mm -hmm. And the remarkable thing is I'd never heard of this picture. I didn't mm -hmm. ever heard of the director. I didn't know anything about it. It, it played great, mm -hmm. even though... I could hardly see half the movie. <laughs> even though half, even, even though any time a character stood up, they were cut off at the chin. Yeah. Okay, so, um, and the movie, by the way, is directed by the team, I mean, well, directed and produced by the team, yes. uh, Pin de la Para, mm -hmm. and produced by Wim Verstappen. 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 Anton, a young adventurer on his way to the south of France, stops for a rest at a small farm in the countryside. In spite of its very obvious charms, Anton discovers that this youth hostel plays host to a very different breed of women. Julie is a sweet but silent young girl who's always sleeping. Sandra and Olga are two seductive and murderous mademoiselles with more than their fair share of experience. Piet, the village fool, is a strange woman who keeps odd secrets in her tiny cottage. And Susan is the lovely proprietress who oversees this strangely alluring household. Before his stay is over, Anton will have uncovered all their secrets. He'll never forget his nights with Susan, Sandra, Olga, and Julie. And neither will you. That's actually a pretty good yeah. uh, applause synopsis, actually. Color, 75 minutes. Media home video, but their private screenings label. Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, the title is smaller than the label's uh, branding. Mm -hmm. Private screenings. I mean, I love this film. Mm -hmm. um, it takes place in this kind of desolate Dutch landscape of reclaimed ocean. You know, you're on a dike, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. And they're literally at the edge of the ocean. And so there's this strange kind of empty desolation to everything that I, I, I kind of adore. Mm -hmm. And from the opening scenes where these two murderous, uh, hot girls, these mm. hot or hot and murderous, I don't mm. know if they're murderous and hot or mm. hot and murderous. Mm. Uh, when they kill this American in a car and it's such a great scene. I mean, that must've been the scene where you yeah, like, yeah. stopped it and said, okay, I've got a, yeah, no, it's like, I've seen, I've, I've seen this opening this. about like a couple times, uh, Sandra and Olga are walking down the road and then they hitchhike. And, uh, and then they're with some American tourist who's driving through Holland looking at the windmills. In an American car. In a big American car. Why, why the American is there with an American car driving through like, Holland, I don't know. Smoking but. cigars. He's got some, uh, the girl is passing the whiskey bottle around. He's got some Elvis glasses. With the girl. They decide to have, he decides to have sex with one of them. And while he's having sex with one of them, the other one bashes his head in with uh, uh, the whiskey bottle. And it's not 
presented like it was a, a setup or it was uh, a robbery or anything like that. It's just like the the brunette girl went crazy. Well, yeah, the redhead you, girl. You kind of get a feeling that it's psychosexual, like. These two highly sexually yeah, the charged having, the girls. The one having sex with the American, all right, gives her a look like, well, what the fuck was that about? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. And, and it's just like, it's almost like it just kind of upsets her. I'm not even sure she intended to kill him necessarily. She just kind of bonks him with the bottle like like he just pisses her off that, yeah. he, that he's mounted her, yeah, she's, her girlfriend. Yeah, maybe. she's fucking, yeah, she's just fucking crazy, all right? And she just acts like a crazy person, all yeah. right? Which makes her yeah. even hotter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go in a very realistic scene. This guy playing the dead body is as good as I've ever seen any actor play a dead body. Uh, they they throw him in the swamp. Yeah. All right? It looks like a swamp yeah. or a marsh. They throw him in that. And then like the village idiot, Piet, finds his body and then drags his now, dead Piet's body. Piet's a woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah Piet's mm-hmm. a woman. And, and you know, drags it back to her little shack and starts like building a little home. With the dead body. Meanwhile, Anton shows up <laughs> at the inn and then meets everybody there. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Susan runs the house and then she has three other uh, people staying, two of the killer girls that no one knows that they're murderers, uh, Sandra and Olga. And then there's uh, yeah. Julie, who yeah, sleeps who, all the time. Yeah, who's like the mopey one. Yeah. But then... Not mentioned on the box is there's another resident of the place, and that's a character named Albert. He's this young guy that apparently Susan knew a while ago, and they were really good friends. Uh, but apparently something happened to Albert, and now not only is he an, an agoraphobic where he can't leave the house, he can't leave his room. And he's got a room like— uh, Where he uh, can peep into the other room. Yeah, like Bad Ronald. Yeah. All right, you know, he's got a Bad Ronald room. So it's like a small room, more like but a he, closet. But he uses it more like a Norman Bates room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Now, one of the things about the film that I didn't buy at all is it seemed like the girls were performing for the peephole. Then it turns out later they didn't know he was there. But I, the girls just like it to be naked. I, the, the, I, These I, girls I are naked in, it's almost as if the costume people didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, just shoot the scene anyway, no clothes. No, especially, because they wear no clothes he's especially, constantly. He's especially talking about yeah, uh, uh, Sandra and Olga. Sandra, yeah. Especially Olga. Yeah, Ol- yeah, Olga especially. Is the Olga, killer. Is Olga the dark-haired one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. She's wearing that white kind of, it's not fishnet, but like. But it, he's right, though. Half the time, Olga's wearing nothing. Yeah. She's just stark naked. And we like it that way. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, uh, 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 frankly, to tell you the truth. This film has a lot of similarities with The Fool Killer. I mean, there is this almost regional mountain folk aspect about these Dutch characters. Yeah. Anton seems like, hands down, like the most hippest of them. And he's, a, he's, he's passing through. He's a, he's a traveler. He's like uh, the Rutger Hauer character had uh, Verhoeven directed this movie. Because yeah, yeah, uh, it actually kind of feels in some ways like super early Verhoeven. Yeah, well, they, they all fit around the exact same time. I think uh, uh, this movie is actually was made in 74. So I think yeah, actually- Turkish Delight. Yeah, it was like right done like the year before Turkish Delight. Yeah. Um, but there is this uh, macabre mystery element kind of hanging over the movie while it doesn't get in the way of the sexual hijinks. And it doesn't get in the way with the, of the film's kind of likability about the way that all the characters interact with each other and the way they, they pair off or the, uh, the situations that happen with the different combinations of characters. But like The Fool Killer, there is this macabre aspect kind of hanging over it. As you, 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 well, it's almost Hitchcockian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it has a very Hermaness score. It does. It Go does. On. And 
that's interesting because uh, Herman worked with these guys before. Oh, uh huh. They made a picture, or or Pim did, mm-hmm. called Obsession, mm-hmm. nineteen sixty nine. Mm-hmm. Music by Herman, screenplay co written by Martin Scorsese. No, really? Yes, I've never heard of this movie. It's, Slate it. It's a real picture. <laughs> wow. Maybe Scorsese did that during the time that he was in Holland shooting the ex, the special, the sex scenes for um, Who's That Knocking on My Door? Possibly. Yeah, that would make sense. But I didn't know that Scorsese was even involved with a production with, that had Herman in it before he became a director for sure. It's, I was I was shocked to see that. It's interesting. But that's because I, you know, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I had never heard of this picture. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of the director. I didn't know anything about it. And I was surprised how much I liked it. Yeah. And I was particularly impressed with the lead actress. Yeah. Whose name is, if I can pronounce it, Vilicky von Amelroy. Yeah. Now, yeah, that was pretty good. We, you did people, a good job there with all those vowels. People may have remembered seeing her in her later years as the lead in Antonia's Line, mm-hmm. which was yeah, 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 a yeah, fairly yeah. popular yeah, it was, movie. Yeah, it was a popular movie, yeah. Uh, but uh, this is 1975, and she was the sex pot. Yeah, of, she's so striking. The, and she is gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, just a, a, a it's a pleasure to just look at her. Yeah, her bone structure, her bone structure is, is incredible. It's perfect. Actually, and also the thing about it is, like, and it's... Even though she's in this erotic film, she's an actress of such substantial thing that, like, it seems almost disrespectful, yeah. you know, to call her uh, a sex flick star, all right, because she actually brings a gravitas. And she doesn't take her clothes off. Yeah, and, she and, yeah, and yeah, she's yeah. absolutely not playing that sexy character in this. Mm-hmm. She's, like... She's the anchor. She's in the, yeah, she's, she's the, the anchor in the middle of this yeah. pot boiler that's mm-hmm. occurring around her. Well, the thing is, like, these, these two filmmakers... Uh, uh, Pen de la Para and Wim Virtus uh, Stappen. Uh, I'll just call them Pin and Wim from here on in. Um, they started a company called uh, Scorpio Films. And they started doing these series of erotic movies in Holland. And for a period of time, I think they were the most successful for like a, a year or two, they were the most successful filmmakers in Holland because they had just done uh, uh, just a series of these uh, movies all done around this scale that had all done fairly well. And and they were a true team where Wim would direct one and then Pin would produce that one and then Pin would direct the next one and Wim would produce that one. And uh, by the time they'd done this one, according to uh, Films and Filmmaking, um, this was like Pin's fourth movie. As a director. And uh, uh, Wilkie, all right, uh, who you're talking about, the actress, she was definitely their star. She was definitely their big star. And they mentioned that there's another movie that they did that is apparently even better uh, called Frank and Eva Living Apart Together. And Pin directed that one that also has Wilkie in it. Um, And also Sylvia Cristal. And that actually is available on YouTube. Hmm. Uh, wow. Under the name Frank and Ava, uh, that's available on YouTube in Dutch with subtitles. Oh, and I was gonna, wow. wa- I was gonna that's watch great. it this weekend, yeah. and I missed it. But I'm, I do gonna, I'm it. gonna look that one up right away because that's. But this I, movie really turned me on. I do want to see it, and also uh, one of the films that Wim directed is a few years later. He directed one of the Rutger Hauer star starring movies when Rutger Hauer was starring and stuff in Holland, and that actually got released. I, one of the ones that got released, uh, some of them got released on video in the old days, and uh, one of them uh, he did is one called The Outsider, and I think that's available on a couple of video cassettes we can find around. But this was definitely the one that falls under the category of the three of us hadn't seen it. Yeah, yeah, a little. 
prepped by sitting in the first 10 minutes. All right, uh, which, by the way, the use of the Stevie Wonder song is just perfect. It's one of the great music drops I've, I've seen in a long time, especially from back then. Uh, but I was really uh, taken with how we all enjoyed it. We, yeah. we all got into its vibe. And we're back with Gala Bubbles Avery. That's close, actually. That's close, but no cigar for my middle name, Quentin. She calls you sir. She never calls me sir. (laughs) Sir, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. (laughs) So we're back with My Nights with Susan, Sandra, Olga, and Julie. And Pim de la Para. Okay, so the interesting thing about him is he's not only Dutch, but he's actually from Suriname. And he made the very first movie that was ever made in Suriname, which is Van Peepel, or One People. Um, which also stars Vilki Van Amelroy. One People's on YouTube, and it also stars Vilki Van Amelroy. And it is like this touching personal love story all about the relationship between Holland and Suriname and like the class system there and like how it's a really wonderful thing. So if anyone has seen My Nights with Susan, Sandra, Olga, and Julie and liked this movie, you should check out One People because it's really good. Um, on this VHS transfer that you guys watched, because I didn't watch a VHS transfer. What was the color like? It was okay. It was fine. It was okay, but it was very, uh, I felt muted, muted, neutral tones. Okay. We're watching a very bleak landscape. You guys are missing out because this movie pops with color when it's not on VHS. Interesting. So what did you see it on? I, okay. So I actually, I got a rip of it from the internet archive. Um, It's an English Uh, dub. A good source. A good source. I like, that's one of my favorite sources for uh, free media. The Internet Archive. It's an English dub with Spanish subtitles. So great. I'm Mm -hmm. flexing my Spanish as Mm -hmm. I'm watching. Mm -hmm. Not really. (laughs) Um, But the color on it is striking. Like her kitchen is like this bright red. Yeah, there's a lot of reds. That was another Roger thing. When Roger gets an opportunity, he paints everything red. But uh, the opening sets you up for this weird tone in the movie because... Watching it, I scrubbed through to like make sure I had an English version because the worst thing that you can do is like download something or like watch something and it's not like in the right language. Like when I'm watching Cry for Me Billy and it's in German <laughs> and that was a pain in my butt. But I scrubbed through and like the one line I could but find. But you saw Cry dialogue, for Me Billy. I did. But the one line of dialogue I could find was when he throws the sunglasses after Piet is like throwing them in the window mm. and she comes up to him and she's like, I am so horny. I never had an orgasm before. And I'm thinking, God, what am I going to like be Oh, into? that was the line you that landed on? That was the on? one line I landed on. I'm thinking, I'm going to have to watch like the sex movie where it's like she's like begging for an orgasm Quentin Quentin damn you Quentin and Joe Dante like this is what I have to watch okay the movie is not that you guys it like markets itself as like the sex movie but it's like this really enchanting thriller okay now it is a sex movie Uh, that's what I like about it All right, but the main character doesn't take her clothes off well well you uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you, it, you have four main characters. She doesn't so, have to because yeah, everybody else. But is, exactly, everybody else. Yeah. but is it more of a thriller than it is a sex film? I think it's more of a thriller. I think it's. I think the thriller I, aspects overpower this. The I think the sex. The sex you know, here's film. A, here's a, here. Okay, I, I disagree. And here's if if then you might have to come up with a new visitor visiting. All right, but if the two sisters killed Anton when they had sex with him the first time, and then we knew that that was a thing, that whenever they had sex, one of them would end up killing the guy, uh, that would be a different thing. Then the two girls would be these time bombs waiting to go off, and then you'd be meeting somebody else who ends up showing up. But they, I actually think it's part of the charm of the movie that the movie doesn't forget 
that a murder happened. I mean, I've never seen a murdered body been given as much agency yeah. as this murdered it's, body. It's a great murdered body. Yeah, and the, the actor is doing a fantastic job. I mean, just truly. Yeah, he's fro- he's somehow frozen his eyes. He yeah. somehow turned off everything above his neck. And he's on for a long time, yeah, not yeah. blinking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or breathing. I, but, I was searching but for a But oddly breath. enough, he's still kind of coming across as a person. You know, the way his posture falls is, makes it look real and makes him look like a real person. Um, but the thing about it, though, is... Uh, I think it's weird. Like I said, I think there's like a macabre element, like the full killer, but I'm going to get to that macabre element somewhere in the last 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, uh, Like, for instance, while the movie doesn't forget that a murder happened, the movie seems to forget that they're murderers. (laughs) There is like almost, uh, well, the point being is it's up to us to remember that they killed that character at the beginning because there's no emphasis on that at all throughout the rest of the movie that to even such a degree what did they kill him well, of course they did i saw it all right but you know the movie's not but telling they, they you they don't that. act like it they don't, yeah, act they like don't they have like any secrets at all they, they never yeah. there's no rationale there's no reason given for their murders i mean and there look, could and, almost be a chapter and, that took place before this and, where they were sex workers in den hog and, and they just went yeah, off on their like own that's what i thought i thought it was like a sex walking, worker revenge cuz the way they're walking yeah. down the road like in those skimpy outfits like bopping and i consider the, and i consider it like a compliment of the highest order the fact that it can take the murder itself so seriously and then not take them seriously as murderers, that's an achievement. That is actually hard to do. Yeah. And the film does it. Yeah. I expected maybe it to be something like To Be 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you what know, I would have thought, too. Which is a, a, a movie that has that starts out like it's a, a harmless sex comedy and mm-hmm. then becomes the most horrific. Fernando de Leo. Horrible climax that uh, which i think in, in a lot of places they didn't they yeah, didn't yeah, they did. that part yeah uh but it was it's truly shocking yeah, yeah. Uh, no, the, I, th- I thought this was going to be a little bit like that and it's not it's, yeah, it's, not like it's it, its yeah. own thing yeah it's its own thing so i disagree with you guys at the back of the box like matches the movie mostly because, no, i'm the only one that said that okay well Quentin, <laughs> let's oh you could disagree with me okay i disagree yeah, with well, you what's well, new <laughs> <laughs> uh i disagree because One of the things I like about this movie is that you actually don't really know what's going on and how everything unfolds. Like how they say that Julie is asleep all the time. Okay, well, Julie is asleep all the time because she's up with... Albert. She's up with Albert. Like, that's why she's asleep all day. Well, that eventually happens. But, she's, but she's, I don't know if that was happening before or not. No, no, he they, actually they could have a no. They actually no. They actually say they they say uh, uh, well no. Well, the one she has her first time with Albert. That's obviously her first time. They talk about it. I think. Yeah. All right. But, in, our, in our dubbed version. Yeah, yeah. In our dubbed version. All right. But I, I, I think I was that. watching the same dubbed yeah. version. I, I hope. But at the beginning, it's like, oh, and this is Julie. She sleeps all the time. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. But like the way I took it is, it's like they're unfolding kind of these mysteries behind the girl. And I read it as like she's up all night, like conversing with him through the wall, and that's why she's asleep all day. And it's like, okay, huh? And then when the guy oh, comes, that makes a little sense. Yeah, that yeah. actually. And then tries. when the guy comes, it's not what the back of the box is saying. He's not coming to a boarding house. She's an ex model. She was a supermodel. Like she talks about, she mm-hmm. had the most beautiful face in the world, and she's run away. She couldn't handle the fame, so she's run away to this house, and he's there to come get her for a job. Like it's his that's, job that's to come true. pick that's her up. What, that's so that's not what the. That's, that's, that's you know what, what Gala's right. Box. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's right. Yeah, that is true. Gala won. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I did it. Yes. But uh, I think there is a thing on the back of the box by focusing on Anton yeah. and the idea of him wow. going through his nights with all four of these you're, chicks. You're, that that's the idea. Your faith in the 
<laughs> copy in the back of the box is astonishing to me. Well, you we know, always most we people, you most no, people you didn't remember the intricacies. You did no. not remember the intricacies of the story until she said it any more than I did. <laughs> you know that the people who write these things haven't seen the movie. Well, that's that's what we were talking about is because normally the back of the box is so far off and Quentin has to give like this whole thing of like that's not what the movie is. This is what the movie is. And so this one actually. Well, no, okay. But you know what? This well, one actually, okay, enough, this the was motive reasonable. for him being there is maybe not on the back of the box, but everything else. Yeah, I feel like the first like two or three sentences are not right, and then it gets into it. Yeah. But I mean, he's not on his way to France on his moped or no. on his motorcycle or whatever he's. No, he's uh, he's there to get her for um, a job unless in Montagne. Actually, unless the job is in France, I think it's in the job could be in France. I think it's in Montagne. But besides it's a, if that, it's a modeling though, job. Besides that, though. I like that, like how it unfolds, like how I kind of don't know what their relationship is. And then like, as it's going, I'm learning, okay, she's a model. He's there to get her for a job, but they're kind of falling in love. And she's been like afraid and she can't run away from everything. Like she keeps running away from the box. They all know that. And who is this half wit running around in the. Who is Piet? Yeah. (laughs) Piet belongs to the house. That was one of the things I love that she says that Piet Mm -hmm. and Anton belong to the house. And it's like, okay, like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Well, the house is red. Yeah. The house is uh No, no, didn't they explain something the that the house uh, is a mythic uh, that, place. That Piet's family used to take care of the house and wasn't that explained? I don't I don't know, but I would, I was just like thinking like what she's like, Oh yeah, Piet belongs to the house, Piet wouldn't hurt a fly. And it's like Okay, that's fine. We just have a crazy person like running around who's probably the least crazy well, person. Know, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, yeah, okay. A crazy person. But they, they you know, they've known each other since they were children. Yeah. yeah. Uh also, this poor guy who enters into this house with, like, all of, like, these crazy people. That freak out that Julie has when she sees uh, the guy sleeping with the two girls oh, is she... epic. That mm-hmm. is, like, an epic meltdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure yeah. I have. I'm sorry, Dad. When I'm she sure I've experienced things. that somewhere oh, in my yeah, life. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen you do it. No, yeah. That was <laughs> family secrets. Yeah. Yes, it happens. When that, she's yeah. ripping that shirt, I yeah, I felt that. that oh, was... yeah, when she grabbed that shirt and just suddenly ripped. I'm going to rip something. I'm going to rip this. <laughs> I've done that before. That was very convincing. Her Her. Her, uh, her meltdown uh, is epic. Her meltdown is very convincing. I agree with that. Yeah. And then just the the last shot of the movie, and I maybe we'll talk about it, maybe we won't, but of Piet with the cigar in her mm-hmm. mouth, like yeah. watching the like flames. You have to do the, the Franklin yeah. Browner thing, like the. Yeah, she's like watching the yeah. flames and she has a cigar in her mouth and she's like smiling. That, I mean, she, she got her arms around both dead bodies. Yeah, it's, that is an awesome <laughs> I feel way like to that, end a movie. That took me back to almost every Filmex movie I feel like I ever went to. Like, Because <laughs> it seemed like every European film I was watching had some kind of bleak scene like that with somebody watching something burn. I don't know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> kind of, I'm kind of cheering for Piet, though. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I'm totally because, cheering like, for Piet. The thing that the girls... It feels like the end of Ferret Vampire. Oh, no, actually, ever seen that, that was actually one of the f- fun things is like they're, they're, they're like, Piet, Piet, no, yeah, they're, they're, they're little thing, yeah. and then all of a sudden she says the bar of our oop, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like oop. I, but I they're do. Like, Piet, Piet, look at my tits. No, it, 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 sorry, Dad. Piet, 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 look at my pussy. Look at my tits. Piet, Piet, Piet. That's like the chant they do. <laughs> was like, like, so Piet, Piet, Piet. I mean, it taught oop. me. I mean, it taught me my my internet archive uh, thing taught me that the word for pussy in Spanish is concha, oh, yeah, which led concha. me on this whole well, thing. Uh, you of, don't get this kind of stuff on other podcasts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Father daughter conversation. She's our, she's our researcher. <laughs> which led me down the etymology of conch last night and <laughs> mollusk and all these good things, but. <laughs> The version that you guys can watch online for free is on the Internet Archive. It is an English dub with a Spanish sub. I think there might be a version kind of floating around YouTube, but I don't think it's in full. Is it in widescreen? 
You know, I could see the full thing. So, yeah, I'm going to guess it is now that I think about it. I didn't even. Well, you can see the full. Uh, how do you know you've seen the full thing? Well, because their chins are okay, like well, not the only thing in so frame. You feel as though the frame, you feel as though the framing was, was it a wider screen than it was? Uh, what was the aspect ratio? I don't think it was wide, actually. I don't think it was wide, but like, like their chins. Were, <laughs> oh, it's probably a pan and scan. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Joe Dante, for saving me from my father asking me yes. if it was one eight. Was it one eight five one six six one seven eight? Tell me, you're, you're brutal with that channel. <laughs> well, if you're interested in watching, it's on the Internet Archive, English dub, Spanish subtitle, or you can pick up a VHS. I picked up. Don't pick up the VHS. <laughs> or don't pick up the VHS. It was a media home entertainment for twenty two dollars. Now it's time for awards. Let's give out some awards. Awards, okay. So what we do, yeah, we give out awards. Uh, I'll, I'll throw out some of that for the three different movies. Oh, okay. If, you, if there's and best don't, film. And don't worry, a... Joe, because I don't know anyone's name that's in any role. So I just say, oh, that chick in that role. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start with uh, uh, best lead actor. Okay, uh, I, I just have to ask right away. I'm sorry, I don't mean to just jump in, but I'm Go so ahead. excited about uh, Henry Hull's performance. I think that would be a supporting act. Okay, so that's supporting. Okay, fine. Okay, so about <laughs> Rogers, since you want to start, continue. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, if it's best actor, then uh, probably Edward Albert. Yeah, I would actually. go. I would go because Edward as Albert a child, Al- as a child yeah. actor, giving a performance of that depth I for me. Yeah, I agree. And, it, and and the fact that when he looks at the camera and speaks to the camera, it doesn't it doesn't break the yeah. movie. As a matter of fact, he holds I, it together still. I would say even of all the of all the performances we saw in the three different movies, the acting thing that stays with me, not a line rating thing, but the acting thing is just his possessed face during the revival tent yeah. scene. That's uh, a lot for a child actor. To yeah, do. and he was fantastic. It makes me want to go on a whole. Edward Albert kick, all right? Let's I'm, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I want to watch is because we're big Susan George fans here. We'll watch uh, The House Where Evil Dwells, which is Edward Albert, Susan George, and uh, um, Doug McClure. Oh, Doug McClure! And it's a ghost movie that takes place in Japan, and there's eroticism involved. <laughs> Fan- fantastic. Well, it hits all of our marks. It hits all of our marks. Okay, what about you, Gal? No, I agree. I think also, for me, it was, though, his line reading, because he has this one line at the beginning of uh, The Fool Killer where he says, like, it's not like getting spanked and getting beat that hurts you. It's the shame that gets you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that set me up for the entire movie. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's an exactly incredibly well-written and deep line, which that should probably really well bring us line. to best screenplay, actually, because yeah. uh, a, a full killer, for, as no, far as I was killer, concerned. A full killer easily, easily wins best screenplay. Easily. Yeah. Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Oh, you're not you're not going to give it to that he can't sail with that shoulder line. It's not what <laughs> no, no, we're doing. No, no, here. I don't think we. From a novel. as much as I like that movie, I don't if think you, I, you, uh, I like that if part you, as if much you as you want to do a separate uh, award for <laughs> best line, great line. You know, you're allowed. Well, we, we we usually give out a best line, even though it's not an official award. Yeah. All right, uh, it's official. The, the full killer. The full killer <laughs> well, no, it usually ends up not being official. All right, we just keep repeating it a zillion times until I mean, the, obviously it won. I think, I think the full killer though is definitely the best script out of the three. Yeah, yeah. No, it's from the novel by yeah, Helen Neustis. The dialogue is just fantastic in this movie. Um, okay, so then when it comes to uh, best actress, I'll start. Okay, to me, 
I think uh, Wilkie uh, Vamaro. Uh, I I agree. Am- yeah, Amaro, I agree a- Are we going to disagree on anything this episode? I feel like <laughs> the awards like we've all just agreed just no no. Out. Once I'm gone, you can go back to fighting. <laughs> this yeah. is well. This is pretty clear. Well, we're, this is well, pretty clear. We're, we're pretty... choosing the anchors. We're choosing the anchors of these particular films. I, I also like Ashley Porter's sleepy-eyed um, yeah. uh, amateur performance. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, don't change your don't change your voice. Don't no, change your vote. I'm not. I'm okay, not. I'm just. I'm just. Leave your dad alone. I'm just <laughs> let, let him express. I'm just stuff. shooting her a little bit of juice, just because. Leave your old I actually, man alone. I actually appreciated it, but I would still, I would still give it to Vilica. Voter for supporting actors. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you could do that. I'll do but, that. But I mean, even though she's not as good as, uh, as the other girls, the other girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I mean, but there's such a thing about being a lead performance is leading. You lead. Yeah. You, you put a movie, you put a narrative, you put a narrative on your back and your legs are strong enough to go down into the earth. So there's roots. And then you carry a movie, you lead it. And that's not just a thing. And in both of these cases, the, the, the young actor and then the actress, they're anchors. They carry the whole movie. Mm-hmm. It's true. They pull you through the film yeah. in, a, in a lovely way. So what about Best Supporting Actress then? Okay, so Best Supporting Actress. Uh I had initially uh, uh, Franca uh, Heier- Heierman. Heimerman, all right, who played Olga, the mostly naked one. All right. Um, <laughs> but partly that was because I, I had forgot how good the little girl was in The Fool Killer. Sydney oh, yeah. Ann Richards. Sydney Ann Richards. And with the boil on her butt. So as much as I like Olga, I think I'm going to have to go with Sydney Ann Richards for best supporting actress. I, I agree. Yeah, I'll agree with that. How did, how did she get the boil on her butt? She's just born with it. Hmm. Uh, okay, so then now we'll see if we sell stay in line. Uh, we already know that Roger picks Henry Hull, all right, for best supporting actor. With I a, pick Henry Hull for uh, best supporting actor. I pick him. Oh, God. Today we're all in line. Joe Dante has brought order to our court. Yeah, yeah. The stars are in alignment. Yeah, Henry Hull is incredible. And his delivery of the dialogues by, um, you know, um, by Morgan You're just Fine a plain old fool. You're just a plain old fool. <laughs> it, it's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a great performance. It's fantastic delivery. Okay, guys, let's do Best Director. I think Vim did a good job, but I would still vote for Savando. Mm-hmm. I'm the same. I uh, like. I want to vote for Vim de la Pera, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I have to go with Servando Gonzalez because the guy is a virtuoso. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's clear that this he's doing things with the camera that are simply outside of what he should be able to do and he's doing them with ease and and grace and it's just an it's, it's incredible to watch and when you see his other work or at least another yeah, one of his scapular. films you realize wow this guy was a visual stylist and uh and a and a storyteller of uh, unusual perspective well i actually think the directing of both the fool killer and my nights with susan and sandra blah 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 they're very comparable yeah they're very comparable to each other they they both do a very good job and they both feed into their strengths. Um, they take the, they take what they're doing very seriously. Yeah. I'm going to go with Pin, all right, simply because you guys have gone with the other guy and I liked I liked it. I could go with the other guy, but I'm going to but I like Pin as much in in his own way, even though yeah, there might be things about the full killer. But I'm going to go with I'm going to go with uh, my knights. How about you? Um I still think that Servando Gonzalez gets best director. I think his camera work is excellent. I think that his vision is what makes the, what elevates the movie into being good. And and plus on top of it all, he was fighting 
fighting these producers. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, he was wrestling with them, struggling. Yeah. They were against him. They're like, no upside down shots. And he's like, no, you don't understand. It must be upside down. <laughs> and they're just not listening to him. Okay, best film. Well, um, I, 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 again, I have to go with the full killer because Joe Dante's here. Best. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I have to go with the full killer because I really, but man, I, my nights is I'm it really resonated with me. I really do love the movie, and so um, I was very pleased to discover a movie I had never heard of, and a and a, a director I never heard of, an actress I never heard of, mm-hmm. and how I was just really pleased, even under the circumstances, mm-hmm. uh, with learning about that movie. Um, but I, I I've I've harbored a yen for the full killer since I saw it years ago, mm-hmm. so uh, that would be my pick. But go with go with the director. How about you? I'm going to go with My Nights with Susan, Sandra, Olga, and Julie. It was the movie that surprised me the most. I totally thought I was going to not like it. I mean, like, I like exploitation. Quentin knows I like exploitation films. I like nurses. I like L.A. So I kind of thought that was going to be my jam this time. But no, I was really pleasantly surprised with this movie. You know, it's funny because I think if you were to ask me after we watched the three movies together... I would have come from the same idea that The Full Killer and My Nights were very similar. And I probably would have thrown my lot in with My Nights. But I actually enjoyed us talking about The Full Killer uh, a lot. And I think we had ended up having... It's one of those kind of conversations where we ended up having a lot to say and it just underlined the discoveries you had about the movie. It made the film seem even richer than from when we were first watching it. And so I guess I'm going to go with The Full Killer. Okay. And I guess that brings us to the end of our episode. We want to thank our customer, Joe Dante. Thank you for letting me in the store. Thank you. Get out. out. And by the way, when a customer comes down here, they got to commit to some time. They got to come another day and watch the movies with us. It's a chunk of your life to do yourself. (laughs) It's not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Or it is a thing. (laughs) I want to thank Roger. Thank you. I want to thank Gala. You're welcome. I want to thank our engineers and our producers. Hello, guys. Say hello. <laughs> and I'm Quentin Tarantino. And I'm Roger Avery. And I'm Gala Avery. And I'm not here next week. <laughs> <laughs> Be kind, rewind. See you next time. Talk, talk. Once there was a boy who left the bed he slept in. And he ran away because he felt life was cruel. A killer of Behind him, the boy was afraid that he'd be thought a fool. The Video Archives podcast is hosted by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery and produced by Josh Richman and Gala Avery. Our engineer is Devin Torrey Bryant, and our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Natalie Muellen. Find out more about the show by heading to videoarchivespodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Video Archives and on Instagram at Video Archives Pod. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. 
Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 